0: All right, let's dive into God's word. Please take out a Bible. It's not going to be on the screens today because we're going to primarily be in the book of John. And remember, any time that we're in one book, we're going to try to use the physical book because not all of you have PowerPoint at home. All right. So the more we can train up in God's word directly, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. And we're going to be turning to John chapter seven, John chapter seven, verse one. It is page 892, 892. All right, let's get into this. We are in part 47 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, Hard to Believe. And I just want to share this one concept and the fill in the blank on your bulletin that was given to you as you walked in. It's simply this. Okay, we all understand that the Christian life is not easy, yeah? Yeah. I mean, can we be honest about this? I mean, a lot of times you, you get around church and the way that people talk, it seems like everything's going well for everybody. It's all easy and, and it's clicking for everybody. When they pray, man, they're in contact with God and they hear back from him. And, and then you get home and you're like, man, Bible seems hard to read. I feel like my prayers aren't going past the ceiling. And this whole sin issue is irritating. Like, how, how are we supposed to do this? I always got to hang up about something. If it's not this, it's that. If it's not this, it's that. Transformation is difficult. People are irritating me. I mean, it's all kinds of chaos. And we know that God has called us. We know that God has rescued us. And he says, I need you to trust me. I need you to walk by faith. I need you to believe me, even when you don't have all the proof. I need you to keep going even when it's hard. You know what? I get it. It's difficult. And I want to be honest about that. But I also have to be honest about the fill in the blank in front of you. No one said faith was easy. I hope you were not rescued or saved by someone that gave you this message. Man, you got to get saved because wow, your life will get so easy. Okay? If someone did that, they sold you a bill of goods. All right? That's not exactly how it goes. Hopefully, the message was someone came to rescue you, and when he rescues you, there is a whole process that he's going to pull you out of to make you who he designed you to be. That is difficult, but it is the only way to be rescued. Hopefully that was the message that you received because as hard as it is to get rescued, it's better than not getting rescued, yeah? All right, so we all know we're in on this. Jesus is about to challenge and he's in this big challenging phase of his ministry where he's just smashing through different things and challenging leaders and drawing people to follow him more. So if Jesus has something to rattle your cage with today, he's going to use me to do it. All right. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just doing my job. All right, here we go. Now it says John chapter seven, verse one begins with this after this. Now, anytime you're in John, he's way out of chronology. He's bouncing around doing different topics and he mushes it all together. But if we're following him, then it was six months prior, Jesus was blowing stuff up. He was talking about uh, different things like uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were like, ew, that's gross. And what's wrong with you? And he kept saying things like I'm the bread of life. And, and he was just being weird. And people were like, well, I don't even want to follow you anymore. And a lot of people walked away. Well, once again, six months later, he's still in this mode of just breaking stuff up and telling people it's not what you think it is. I need you to walk with me. I need you to have a soft heart. I need you to be teachable because if you think you know it all, this isn't going to go well. All right. So it begins like this. After this, Jesus went about in the north in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea in the south because the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. Okay. Quick question. Why do people want to kill Jesus? Why not just ignore Jesus? really you got to go out of your way to murder a guy for what what are you going to accomplish Uh, y'all know the liar lunatic lord thing i mean this has been around christianity for a long long time cs lewis talked about it a bunch of people have talked about it here's the deal either jesus is what he knows he's not god and he's lying just to get people to follow him or he really believes he's god but he's not and he's just a psycho or he's who he says he is those are your only options so but here's my point why kill the guy now if he's a liar ultimately that's going to blow up on him so just let his whole ministry explode let's say he's a psychopath at some point everyone's going to figure that out right and they're all going to walk away from him let him fizzle out let him blow himself up Why are you going to the extreme degree of killing this guy? That's a big political move. What would motivate you to do that? And if he's really the Lord, you don't want to kill the Lord. I'm just saying. (laughs) So why would you want to kill him? Well, I think we would be astounded if we paused for a moment and realized how personal we take the throne of our lives. And any time somebody dares to challenge our authority we get nasty so there's two main groups that wanted to kill jesus you got the pharisees and scribes those are the rule followers those are the rules and regulations and rituals and you do it like this these are the religious folks now has religion ever caused any problems around the world Y'all know that there's a couple things you're not supposed to talk about at a dinner party. And one of them is religion. All right, because people get super tense. They don't like talking about religion because in religious talk, you have right, wrong, black, white, good, evil, God, Satan, right? You're talking about big things and people dig into those. And if someone is wrong, they're not just a different opinion. They're wrong. You know what I'm saying? Well, these guys are completely locked into a religious system and they've got it nailed down. They've done all the work. They know how it happens and they have the key to the kingdom. They are the ones that are in control and they like that power and authority that if someone else is right, that means they may not be right. And if they're not right, not everybody's going to follow what they do and they know they're right. Ah, when Jesus came head to head with that, they want him gone. They will not be challenged like that. I mean, you got to understand that once somebody locks in and becomes immovable, it's going to get ugly. You know what I mean? The other group are the Sadducees and the priests. They are not so into religion. And you go, then what is your problem? They're the ones in power. They're the ones where there's money tied into. What happens if you mess with people's money? Same thing. Don't mess with people's money. They get very passionate about it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't mess with people's money. So sure enough, their being in power, everyone doing it the priest way, everyone allowing the aristocracy to be the aristocracy was about to be challenged by Jesus. They wanted the power. They wanted the cushiness. They, wa- they didn't want a messiah. Messiah screws up everything Why do we want a guy to come in and say he's now in charge? What if he's not charging to be in charge? What if i'm not part of his team? They don't want a shift in power So that guy's got to go Just understand wherever You feel tension in your spirit Towards something god is calling you to do. We have a throne problem You're sitting in his spot and he wants it back. So he's saying, uh, you're in my chair. Can you please move? I'm the one calling the shots. And you're going, no, 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 no. you call some of the shots. No, I call all the shots. That's where we get into tension in Christianity. He says, now, the Feast of Booths was at hand. Okay, you're not going to understand the story until you understand this. Feast of Booths. Okay, everybody just say it right now with me. Say, Feast of Booths. Okay. Isn't that a horrible name? Here's the deal. Every time you say booths, you spit. And not only do you spit, but it's super uncomfortable to say. So I think it's the lamest name for a party ever. And so you go, well, what's the other name? The other name is festival of tabernacles. Now, Festival of Tabernacles is not any better. Nothing sounds awesome. Hey, you guys want to go to the Festival of Tabernacles? And they're like, no, I really don't. That sounds lame. Okay, so the naming of it, this is one of the three mandatory festivals for the Jewish people. And When I say mandatory, meaning if you are a Jewish male over a certain age, within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you have to go to the party. You will rejoice. Dang it. You know, it's kind of one of those things. You will have fun and like it. You know, it's mandatory partying. And, and as a matter of fact, it goes Passover is a big deal, Pentecost is a big deal, and the Festival of Tabernacles is a big deal. It's known as the Great Feast. It's the big one. Why is it so fun? Why is it so exciting? Here's why. This is where I appreciate ancient naming. What do you think you do at the Festival of Booths? You make what? booths. Okay. So I love the fact that at least it's in the title, you know what you're walking into. So here's how it works. They said, all right, you know, what would be awesome is if we all play acted, let's say we all reenact this scenario for a whole week of wandering through the desert and in the desert, they didn't have any homes. So they would make little makeshift stuff. They didn't have a lot of building materials. Some of them had tents, Most of them, they would grab tree branches or whatever, and they would construct little things that would keep them out of the elements. But it wasn't going to be fancy. Some of them had to sleep outside. So what we're going to do is everybody's going to grab their families, hang out, and we're going to have a big camp out. Everyone's going to build your own thing. So bring your tree branches with you. Okay, this all sounds odd to us, but in an agricultural society, it's a little more normal. They would all grab palm fronds and all these different things, and they'd grab their branches, and they'd all head down towards Jerusalem, set up in the streets, set up in the temple areas, set up in the gardens, set up in the parks, set up in all over the place. So there'd be little tiny booths everywhere, and you lived in them all week long with your family big camp out. You had to be able to see the stars through the roof because you're supposed to remember there was a time when we didn't have anything. Now we're in our land. We're blessed. We have a ton of stuff. Let's remember how good God is. That's the whole point. We have now brought in all of our harvest in the spring. We brought in all our barley, wheat, grain. We've already got that in because of God's rainfall. And now that we're in, this is all happening around mid-October, now that we've brought in the olive oil and the grapes, we have our whole harvest of the year. God, you have provided for us, we feel spoiled, you're a good God, we're going to have a party. That's what it is. Everybody loves that party. It was a fun time. And there was a couple key elements to it that are going to tie into the story that Jesus is about to share with us. All right, let's keep moving. Verse three, (laughs) you're never leaving. (laughs) So his brothers said to Jesus, leave here in the north and go down to the south in Judea, where Jerusalem is, the religious center, that your quote unquote disciples, all your little follower guys, also may see the miracles that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, Show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. What are they saying? Hey, Jesus, that's, it. he's their older brother. Did Jesus have brothers? Yeah, yeah, he absolutely did. He also had sisters. We know at least four of the brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas. Two of them wrote Bible books, Jude and James, yeah? Okay, so we know that later on they believed, but they didn't believe till he raised from the dead he has a non-believing family and you go, it's weird to grow up in a non-believing family. Try being God and grow up in a non-believing family. That's awkward, right? How is it possible that these guys live with somebody for 30 years and don't know he's God? How much did he own humanity? You know what I mean? It was, there was nothing flashy. There was nothing. He was just a carpenter guy. He was just older brother guy. He was just take care of the family guy. That's what Jesus did, fulfilling everything, being the right sinless man that Israel was always supposed to be. So he lives this whole life. They have no idea that he's God. And the whole concept that he would be God is absolutely irritating. Okay, raise your hand if you have siblings. Imagine they're God. Okay, good. <laughs> you already know what I'm talking about. It's fine if you're God. It's not fine if they're God. You know what I mean? You're like, there's no way my sibling is God. That's not going to happen. I'm not worshiping my sibling. They had a really hard time with this. To let you know how hard it was, let me cite a passage from Mark. I'm just going to read it to you out loud. Mark 3:20 20 through 21. It's, it, this is a different time. Then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they couldn't even eat The crowd was so massive, it was going to squeeze them out. They had no breaks. They couldn't get any food. It was a very busy ministry. And when his family heard it, that means mom and siblings, they went out to seize him, to take him by force, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Okay, so literally Mary and the kids thought Jesus had slipped into the wild blue yonder. You know what I mean? They think that he's now crazy as a loon. So they're going to try to take him by force because what happened to you? You used to be good kid, stay at home, take care of the family. Now all of a sudden you're what public figure running around doing weird stuff, casting out demons. Something's wrong with you. And they wanted to the whole family didn't believe him. And you would think that of all people, Mary should have known something was different about this kid. I don't know, maybe because you got pregnant as a virgin. You know what I mean? Uh, There's, there's some type of little indicator there that there's something different about the kid. But after 30 years of normal, you begin to forget and you begin to go, I don't know, maybe I wasn't tracking on all that. I mean, I know it was a big deal, but maybe God was just blessing me with a great kid. Or maybe he's God. Do you understand? They were so non-believing that they couldn't wrap their minds around it. He was too familiar. Going back to verse six, it says, Jesus said to them, to his brothers, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What does that mean? That word Kairos means the opportune time, the perfect time for something. And what happens is that Jesus said, you know what? My father hasn't authorized for me to go right now. That's not what he wants because I am under some very specific timing. I don't live for myself, guys. I live for my father in heaven. So my timing has got to be right on. See, the way that I view it, my brothers, is doing the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. In other words, timing does matter. If God says, do it now, we do it now. If God says, don't do it now, we don't do it now. But you are not doing anything for your father in heaven. So your time is anytime. Ouch. Y'all understand that's called a rebuke. He's not done with them. Remember, he's the older brother. He's allowed to rebuke more. All right. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil hey guys, you're not doing anything irritating because you're not doing anything. So that's why nobody hates you, but they hate me because I stand up for something. And then he said, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time is not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Now look at verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. What? But he just said he wasn't going. Okay, this actually happens more than once in scripture. Y'all remember the water to wine scenario? This is kind of how the story went down. <laughs> Jesus is really big on timing. So the, he's at this wedding, he's hanging out with his buddies, and they run out of wine. And so his mom comes in, she's like, Jesus, we got a problem. He's like, what's the problem? We don't have any more wine. He's like, what does that got to do with me? She's like, well, you can fix it. Now, how she knew that, I have no idea. Somehow she knew he could do some type of miracle. So she grabs the kitchen staff and says, come here for a second. This guy can fix it. And Jesus literally says, woman, this is not my time. And she's like, whatever. So do whatever he says. I mean, she doesn't care what he's saying. You know, she's like, I'm the mom. I'll tell you. So she said, do whatever he says. And she walks away. Well, what happens? He makes the water into wine. And you go, I thought you just said it wasn't your timing. How do we reconcile this? Here's what I think really happens. Here's how I think the story really went. I think it went, hey, Jesus, we have a problem. And what does that got to do with me? Well, you got to fix it. Woman, this is not my time. I am not here to make water into what? What's that, dad? Okay, so I'm going to make water into wine, but it's not because of you, right? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that happens a lot. I, <laughs> I think it happened here where he's like, I'm not going to that feast now right he's got to listen and and the, the father's like actually that's a great idea and he's like ah, why couldn't you just tell me that ahead of time so i wouldn't be rebuking these people and then all of a sudden i do it so i think the whole point was jesus was always tracking and whenever the father's like and now now you go and he's like oh, all right all right so he hangs out for about three days comes in the middle of the festival it says the jews were looking for him at the feast because he's a celebrity. And they're saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Now this word muttering is negative. It means grumbling. And normally I don't do too much stuff about language, but I thought this was pretty funny. The word in Greek is a type of word that sounds like what it means. Okay? So here's the word. Okay? It's gongosmos. <laughs> and literally you can't say that happy. You can't, you can't, Gungosmos, right? You know, nobody does that. It's supposed to sound like muttering. So they literally made the word sound like what it is, Gungosmos. (laughs) It's just like, all right, whatever. I think it's funny. All right. Some said he's a good man. Others said, now he's leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of Jews, no one spoke openly about him. You understand that in rabbinic tradition, following Jesus, he was considered one who leads astray. So he was a bad guy. And what kills me is that here's a man who all he does is love on people. All he does is die for the sins of the world. All he does is be with the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden. And he stands up for justice and he cares about people and he cries over people and he heals people. And he's still branded a bad guy. And you just, it just hurts my heart because he's my everything, he's my favorite, he's my hero. And I don't like the idea that my hero would be trashed in public reputation. You know what I mean? It says this. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. There were some covered areas where you could go up and hear rabbis talk about what was kind of going on at the day and what was cool. And the Jews marveled saying, how is it this man has learning when he's never studied? In other words, man, this guy's talking like he knows what's up and yet He's never been to a rabbinic school. He's got no Ivy League education. How's he supposed to know any of this stuff? Now, when it says he hasn't studied, it doesn't mean he's not a good Jewish boy that was raised knowing scriptures backwards and forwards. Everyone knows he knows the Old Testament. But what they're saying is he has insight and he's never been trained up in it. He's going, You sure I haven't been trained in it? I don't know. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus answered them, Well, Actually, I have been trained. My teaching is not mine. It's his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Rabbis would always never, they they would never speak on their own. They'd never say, I think. They would always cite authority. It's kind of like a lawyer always cites prior cases. A rabbi would always say, according to this authority, I agree with him. So Jesus said, all right, I'll play that game. You know who my authority is? god and so i didn't come up with it it's not my idea i'm not self-promoting i'm just calling it out like i always call it out my father told me this stuff i am trained in god's school all right and then he says the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him is no falsehood and then he goes off on the crowd and you're and you're thinking why are you being mean to all the crowd they don't even know who you are Because the leaders were in the crowd watching and he's doing, knowing they're eavesdropping, he's blasting them while he's talking to the people so that they understand their leaders are up to something that they don't know about. Check out how Jesus handles this. He said, wait, let me ask you all a question. Has not Moses given you the law? Aren't you guys all good little rule followers? They're like, yeah, yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? crowd answered dude you got a demon who's trying to kill you like you must be crazy nobody's trying to kill they have no idea their leaders are plotting his death so he's talking right through them and going guys you need to wake up they're after me and they'll take me out he said you're seeking to kill me jesus answered i did one work in this area six months ago you're all marveling at it still i healed one guy that was paralyzed for 38 years by a pool, but I healed him on the Sabbath and you all freaked out about it. Nobody will let it go. Y'all keep going. Oh, he's a rule breaker. He's a rule breaker. Let's, let's play that game. Moses gave you circumcision, not really Moses, but you know, from the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision, So the law of moses may not be broken. Are you seriously angry with me? Because on the sabbath I made a man's whole body well Do not judge by appearances judge with right judgment Meaning guys, you're totally inconsistent. You're all over my case for healing someone on the sabbath, but you'll cut your kid on the sabbath what? What does that mean? Well, because we have a rule that's bigger than that rule We have the sabbath rule, but we also have the circumcision rule and circumcision rule is bigger Okay, I'll play your stupid game. I got a rule and it's called rest on the Sabbath, but my dad has a bigger rule called take care of people. So that supersedes the Sabbath. Why are you arguing with me? I'm healing people and making them better on the Sabbath and you're all over my case. Man, what, if, what are you judging by? What, your little rules and regulations? Because you got it all nailed down and because I'm violating how you think I should do it, now I'm a problem? What if your way is wrong? Ah, that's the big problem, isn't it? Do you realize that the majority of our Christianity has been designed by people around us, not by God? Here's what I mean. Do you truly believe everything about God because you read it yourself and you talked with God about it or because some teacher told you? Okay, do you understand that all teachers are fallible? That's me. So if your whole Christianity is designed by what I say, we have a problem. Because what if I'm wrong? We cannot, we have to have personal engagement in this stuff. We have to have I know God, I don't just know a guy that knows God. You know what I mean? Or I know a girl that knows God. That that's that's not sufficient. Uh, These guys were all trained up, and all the authorities said, This is the system, don't violate the system. And Jesus walked in and said, That's actually the wrong system. Wow, what happens if we're wrong? Are we missing out? Are we missing God? Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, oh, wait, wait, this guy's publicly talking. Is this not the man whom they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking openly. They say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know this is the Messiah? I had to turn off my mic. Sorry. You guys, do you always do this when you sneeze? No, I'm turning off my wire packs. Okay, here we go. Could it be that the authorities really know this is a Messiah, but we know where this man comes from, where, and when the Christ appears, no one's going to know where he comes from. Wait, what? Here's how messed up they are. You guys, everybody knows that when the Messiah shows up, he's just going to be like poof, there. Okay. Why do you know that? Well, that's what the Bible says. Really? Is that what the Bible said? No, that's not what the Bible said. As a matter of fact, you are always quoting the fact that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. You know where he's from, but because all their leaders and a tradition had started from a bad reading of scripture, the tradition said the Messiah is just going to show up. So they bought it and they're like, Oh, Jesus doesn't fit the tradition. What if the tradition isn't right? Then here's the irony. Look at the next one. Verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I came from. That's tongue in cheek. Cause he's like, you don't have a clue about me. But I have come not from my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Okay, real quick, never tell a group of Jews they don't know God. Those are fighting words, right? They will take you out. And then it says this, I know him, Jesus said, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they're seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come yet Many people believed in him. They said when the messiah really appears What is he going to do more miracles than this guy? The pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and pharisees sent officers to arrest him Jesus then said i'll be with you a little longer and then i'm going to him who sent me You'll seek me, but you won't find me where i'm going. You can't come The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we're not going to find him? What does he intend to go among the Jews scattered throughout the world? What is he going to go among the Gentiles, the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean? You're going to seek me and you can't find me where I'm going. You can't come. Do we know what he means? Of course we know what he means. Six months from when he says this, he will hang on a cross. He will die and he will ascend to the right hand of the father. That means he's going to heaven. What did he just say to the crowd? of leaders you're not going there that's tough he said you know i'm the way i'm the gate i'm it you reject me you're not going anywhere so no wherever i go you're not going on the last day of the feast the eighth day because the festival lasted for seven days technically and then there was a closing ceremony day on the eighth day Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, rabbis teach sitting down. So for him to stand up and yell it, meant he was getting everyone's attention. And he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here's why that's so powerful in the feast of booths, the festival of tabernacles. There was a couple key parts. One of them was a water part. This is how it would work. The priest, one of the priests would start from the temple mount and he would grab a golden pitcher that held about two pints of water. He would carry it down with a big Levite choir with him. They would march down with all kinds of pomp and circumstance. They would go all the way down through the gate, through the water gate, go down to the Gihon spring, to the pool of Siloam, scoop up water, say an Isaiah passage. Everybody would cheer three trumpet blasts. Then they would recite the Hallel from which is Psalm 116 to 118, I think. And they would go up in this big procession and at different points, people would shout back liturgy. They'd all walk up to the temple with their special water thing. And then they would march around the altar and everyone would wave their palm branches because they have tree branches during this time, they'd wave them towards the altar on the seventh day. They would march around it seven times like Jericho and everybody would shout that God is good and they would pour out water like water from the rock in the desert, water like rainfall for their crops, and they would pour out a water offering saying, God, you have been so good to us. There would be on the eighth day, a uh, seventh day, a sacrifice, excuse me, eighth day, a sacrifice for sins. God, you have covered us, God. We can't wait for your Messiah to show up because he will fulfill all things. And Jesus drops this bomb. Hey, everybody focus on water. Come to me if you're thirsty and you truly want the water we're all talking about, I'm it. That's a big deal. That's a loaded phrase. In case we missed what he was talking about, this living water coming out of us, John says it in 39. Now this he said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. All right. Remember the tag team of the Godhead. Here's what I mean. The Father communicates to mankind, Jesus and Holy Spirit work in the background. The father then says, son, you ready to go? He said, I'm on tag. The sun goes down. Father drifts into the background. Spirit drifts into the background. Son goes for, he then starts moving and contacting, communicating with the world. And then he says, I will die for the sins and I'm out of here. Holy spirit. You ready to go tag? The sun backs off, the Holy Spirit launches forward, and the Holy Spirit has been moving through the church age inside people. So we have to understand the living water means that with the indwelling Holy Spirit, God is continually keeping you alive. That's the idea of being saved. When they heard these words, people said, This has to be the prophet Moses was talking about that was going to come like him and that was going to change everything This is totally that guy. Other people said yeah, he is absolutely the messiah But some said wait, 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 hold up Is the messiah really from galilee? Wait, didn't the scripture say in micah 5 2 that christ comes from the offspring of david? He comes from bethlehem the village where david was so there was a division among the people over him Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. What's the problem with all this? No one checked where he's from Hey, man, I don't think this is a guy. I mean, the the Messiah is from Bethlehem. This guy is from Galilee. Did you ask him? No, of course not. Let's just assume we know. You don't know. You're not even doing your homework to figure it out. He's from Bethlehem. He was born there. You can track it back down through his family line. Come on. But their assumptions were too big. They already knew the truth. And he wasn't doing it right. Mm. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Hey, where's Jesus? We just sent you to arrest him. What? Why didn't you bring him in? The officer said, no one ever spoke like this guy. What does that mean? These are not just cops. These are Levite cops. Levites that are trained religiously. They're holy cops. They are biblical cops. And they come out to arrest this guy and they know what they're talking about. And all of a sudden they hear him speak and they went, I'm not arresting him. You arrest him. <laughs> and the other guy's like, I'm not arresting that guy. Something's weird about that, dude. I'm not putting any cuffs on that guy. That's not going to happen. I'd rather get in trouble with my boss. They come back and they're like, why didn't you arrest him? They're like, cause that ain't a normal man. That's impressive. Even they saw it. Now notice the reaction of the leaders. The Pharisees answer them. What are you also deceived? Man, if you disagree with us, you must be an idiot. Ah, look at their next phrase. What, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? He is not legit until I tell you he's legit. How cocky is that? Oh, so you know everything. But it says, but this crowd, they still said, that doesn't know the law, you all are cursed. They called regular people who didn't do what they do, people of the land. And they were the losers. So they're going, oh, okay, so we got to handle it ourselves because you common people can't handle it. You're all being led astray. You don't even know what's wisdom. Nicodemus, who has gone to Jesus in the past, remember that? He asked about being saved and born again, that whole thing. He's a Pharisee. He's on this council. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to him, hold up, guys, hold up. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, what are you from the north too? You from Galilee? Search and see no prophet arises from Galilee. You know what he should have said? Uh, Excuse me, morons. Jonah is from Galilee. He's a prophet. But no, he didn't say moron. (laughs) What's the point of the message? How much people miss because they assumed that they knew. They got it all nailed down. Hey, no, I got this whole thing figured out. They stopped listening, stop learning, stop. I would hate for some of us to say, oh, no, I figured that whole Christianity religious system by uh, the time I was 20, I haven't learned anything in the last 20 years. That'd be a bummer. Really? You haven't learned anything? Your heart's not soft. You're not listening. You're not learning. You're not reading. You're not soaking up anything. You're the same because you have it figured out? What man or woman in this world can fully figure out God? Are you kidding me? Oh, you can figure out religion systems, but you can't figure out God. We are to always be learning, always be soft. It's the whole reason why we approach scripture every time with humility, saying, God, please talk to me. Please share with me what's real. I know what i've been taught. I know what's going on. I know how i've always done it I know what works for me. I know how I can click the little boxes, but god. What if i'm wrong? What do you want from me? How do I please you? How am I soft in your hands? How do you remake me? How do you draw me closer? Because god, that's what I want I know Christianity is hard. I know following God is difficult. But where else are we going to go? Who else wants to rescue us? Who loves us as much as Jesus? And who would we want to love us besides Jesus? I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know there's a lot of questions. But we've got to listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Amen? amen let's close in prayer heavenly father thank you for today thank you lord for loving us and being kind and patient with us as we learn and grow lord would you continue to guide and direct our every move father that you would tell us the right timing for things the right guidance for things open up our eyes where lord we are assuming a lot but god i just pray that we would be soft in your hands to be able to please you to know you to glorify you as we were designed to do May you be praised in Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.